Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Seeing as this podcast is being recorded on Selection Sunday, I thought it would be the best time possible to have our first draft podcast of the season. So I'm here today with our resident draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. And Tyler, how are you doing? Doing great, Nick. Happy to be back. It's that time of the year, March Madness. Hopefully we get some good games uh, in the college ranks and get a better look at these guys for the draft this summer. Well, if you're talking about the draft, there's really only one place to start with maybe the closest thing to a guarantee at the number one pick since LeBron. I mean, certainly closest thing to a guaranteed number one pick in a very long time. Zion Williamson came into college and showed that his ridiculous athletic ability was not actually just something that he could only display against high schoolers. He's clearly showed all of that at the college level as well. He's also been a lot more impressive as a playmaker than I certainly thought he would have been. Defensively, he can gamble a bit, but he's still clearly a big positive on that end of the floor. Where would you rank Zion among the last 10 or so number one overall picks? So and Zion's clearly an athletic freak. Um, he's a really smart player. He's I, I think this year, this one year of college has done him just a ton of good. Um, and I I kind of had him in the top five range coming into the season, but myself and kind of the rest of the world had RJ Barrett as the number one overall pick coming into this year. So what Zion's been able to do this year has been really impressive. He's more than just an athlete. He's agile he's a great rim protector he's a really smart passer um and obviously we've seen all the dunks and finishes around the rim in the last 10 years or so though um and i I think i still have him behind towns anthony davis and Kyrie. um and those guys were elite they were more well-rounded um and i i that's not to take anything away from zion i think he's a great player i think he's going to have a really good successful long nba career but i think his greatness this year has kind of been amplified by the the lack of any other stars or surefire stars at least in this draft so going back the last 10 years the number one overall picks obviously not including zion this year blake griffin john wall kyrie irving anthony davis anthony bennett lol andrew (laughs) wiggins also lol Carl Anthony Towns, Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, and DeAndre Ayton. I think that Anthony Davis might be the only one of those players that I would take over Zion at this point. I totally understand Carl Anthony Towns is a revolutionary offensive player, but for me, I always struggle with rating all offense, no defense centers really, really highly. And granted, Carl Anthony Towns has taken massive strides on the defensive end and this year in particular. And ironically enough, coming out of college, he was actually expected to be a lot better defender than he's been so far in the NBA. But I mean, the thing about Zion is that there's no reason in my mind that he can't do basically anything you could possibly want out of a small forward out of a power forward or out of a center because i could honestly see him playing all three positions incredibly effectively the one thing though is he doesn't really have a solid three-point jump shot yet and i guess the question is how much do you think that will limit him in the nba i think it'll hurt him um and we've kind of seen it with ben simmons where i'm ben ben simmons has obviously had a really 
really impressive early start to his career, but teams are willing to just sag off of him. Um, and Zion's going to need to be able to get a little more consistent. And he's a better shooter than Simmons is, especially since he's willing to shoot it. So if he can even just hit him at, you know, a 30% rate, and that'll do wonders for his game because teams will have to at least re- respect him out there, which will just open up the paint and let him just drive past pretty much everyone else who's an inferior defender. This is an unfair comparison just because it's unfair to compare anyone to an MVP player when they're 18 years old. Right. But I think we've seen a decent model for the kind of force that Zion can be with what we've seen from Giannis Adetokounmpo this year. And Giannis didn't really start shooting threes with any sort of effectiveness until around mid-January, early February. But for the beginning portion of the year, all he was doing was just driving to the rim, dunking and kicking out to open three-point shooters. And I could see Zion being, you know, obviously a step or so down from MVP level because, you know, he's still only 18. But I think he could play that kind of game at the next level. But someone who I'm not as sure about the kind of game that they're going to play at the next level is Zion's Duke teammate, Cam Reddish. Now, you have Cam Reddish at number two on your hashtag basketball 2019 NBA draft prospects big board, which, by the way, the link for that will be in this podcast bio. But you seem to be a lot higher on Cam Reddish than I am. So talk me into Cam Reddish a bit. What do you see out of him? So I really kind of struggled with this 2-3-4 range with Cam, John Morant, and RJ Barrett. Um, Just Cam's offensive ceiling, I think, is what intrigues me the most, especially with this, you know, three-point heavy era of the NBA. Um, He's a really good shooter. His length makes him really difficult to defend. He he doesn't have any issues getting to the rim. Um, The issues come once he he's really struggled to finish at the rim this year. But once you know, I I think some practice and coaching, I I think that's an easy fix for him because he has super long arms, so he has no trouble scoring around opponents around the rim. But the most intriguing thing has been his shot creation ability and his step backs are NBA level. He has really good crossovers to create space and loose defenders. And if he can, and we've seen flashes of him running off screens, but if he gets into an NBA system where that really puts him into that, where he's running off screens and actively involved um, throughout the game, I, I think he could just be absolutely deadly from behind the arc, especially if he's paired up with, with a point guard who is a really good passer. So I would probably have Cam at the bottom of that two, three, four grouping of RJ, John Morant, and Cam. I get that he has a really high potential ceiling outcome. The thing that troubles me is that we have not seen almost any of that at Duke this year. He's been very passive. He's been floating in and out of games a lot. And that was a concern for him coming into college too. So On the one hand, sure, he's not getting the ball as much as he would have playing for pretty much any team in the country other than Duke, and that was really what he was good at in high school, was being a point-forward type of player. We haven't seen as much of that as maybe we would have if he went to a different school, but on the other hand, given his struggles with inconsistency and the potential for him to just sort of be someone who floats a bit on offense and doesn't really put in the requisite effort on defense... I would be very uncomfortable taking him with the second overall pick. And that's fair. I get, I 
I definitely get the concerns. Um, I think a lot of his ineffectiveness this year, I, I think he's been used pretty poorly and RJ Barrett's ball dominance and, you know, hesitancy to really move the ball at all or take highly efficient shots has kind of killed their offense in a lot of ways and done a disservice to both Cam and Zion. Um, I, I just think at this point, Cam's potential upside, I think, kind of out outweighs the, uh, the the major concerns I have uh, against RJ. Let's move on to number three, John Morant. John Morant has had a truly spectacular sophomore season after a solid, but certainly not superstar level freshman season at Murray State. Now, the thing about Morant is that on the one hand, he is, you know, a 20 and 10 player at the college level where that basically never happens, especially when the 10 is assists instead of rebounds. But he's really struggled to take care of the ball. And it's still difficult for me to parse out how much of that is just that he is the alpha and the omega of that team on the offensive end versus how much of that is that he actually does need to clean up his handle a bit and be a bit tighter with the kind of passes he tries to make, maybe go a little bit less for the highlight reel passes and focus more on fundamental passing. Do you think that's just because he doesn't really have anyone else to take the pressure off of him on the offensive end? I do. I, I think that's the biggest part. I mean, he's he's an incredible passer, um, and a lot of his turnovers come from him trying to make these highlight flashy passes that you know we always see the good ones that end up on Sports Center, where he's throwing half court alley oops or incredible bounce passes to set up his teammates. But he always has the ball in his hands. He has to create almost every scoring opportunity for this team. I and mean, we'll see it in the tournament, but they're not a good team. And he's an incredible player, so I'm not as worried about his turnovers. Now, if we get into his rookie year and, you know, we start seeing him just throw these wild passes all over the place all year, then that's going to be a real issue, obviously, going forward. But once he's surrounded by a higher level of talent, better athletes, smarter players, I, I think his turnovers will diminish uh, quite a bit, and he'll take or he'll take much better care of the ball once he kind of has it less in his hands. Let's move on to number four, RJ Barrett. Now, as you said earlier, RJ was the pretty clear favorite to be the number one overall pick going into this past year, and he's definitely shown that he is a very good all-around player. It's hard to find something that he's really, truly bad at. He's not a spectacular defender, but I don't think he's bad on the level of, say, and this is mean because he's been having a great last couple months, but, say, Trey Young on the defensive end of the floor. R.J. Barrett is nowhere near that level. On the other hand, though, he's playing with the clear best player in the country and is shooting almost twice as many shots per game as Zion is. Are you worried about RJ being able to fit into an NBA offense given his shot selection, let's say, concerns at Duke this year? RJ's been the biggest disappointment for me this year, and that's not because he's been had a bad year and he's leading Duke in scoring, but it, you know this might just come from me setting such high expectations for him. I his his shot selection is the really concerning part about it. I mean, he's not a good shooter from outside. He frequently drives into triple teams and either it, it is called for a charge or just throws up, you know, a, a wild layup that has no chance of going in. With that said, he's also a really incredible scorer and has 
pretty solid instincts for it, um, for finding those driving lanes and spinning the ball off the glass or just dunking on guys. But if he gets into a system where they're just like, hey, RJ, just go out there and play, I, I think he'll have a really disappointing career. But if he's able to get some coaching and get into a locker room that has a couple solid veteran guys that can kind of show him the ropes or a primary ball handler already established there, then I think he could really turn into the face of a franchise. So he's just one of these guys that has a really high ceiling, but a really low floor to me. So let's now talk about someone who's essentially the opposite of that as a player in Virginia's (laughs) DeAndre Hunter. Now it is almost impossible for me to see Hunter failing at the NBA level just because he's almost the archetypal three and D type of plug and play player. But do you think he has the highest floor of anyone in the top five? And obviously that's not including Zion Williamson, but I just think assuming health, I don't think anyone else in this top five is as guaranteed to be at least a successful NBA player, maybe not a star player, but I really have a hard time conceiving of Hunter not at least being something in the NBA. I love Hunter's game. I and mean, he's, it kind of, it almost is unfortunate that he's at Virginia um, because we don't get to see how good he can really be offensively just because of how slow they play and how much of a team dynamic they have. But he's an incredible defender. I think that worst case scenario, I think he's, you know, a Trevor Ariza-like player absolute best case scenario he's a Kawhi Leonard type I and mean, I don't think he'll get to top three player in the league level but you know that type of two-way player where he's locked down defender and knocking down threes and scoring on offense so I, I would feel much safer I guess I think or I think like you said Hunter in this top five Hunter's the safest pick besides Zion um but I don't think his ceiling is quite as high as those other three guys. A similar sort of player to Hunter, although I think probably one with a slightly higher ceiling upside, Jared Culver out of Texas Tech. The one thing he's done much better this year than last year is that he's really taken a big step in terms of shooting off the dribble, shooting pull-up shots. He used to be only a catch-and-shoot kind of guy, but if he's going to be successfully able to hunt his offense at the NBA level, he's going to need to be able to do more than just take catch and shoot triples. But what do you think is more real in terms of what we're going to see from Jared Culver at the next level? Do you think it's his incredibly hot shooting start to start the year? Do you think maybe his struggle shooting early on in conference play might be more of an indicator? What do you think about what Culver's shooting is going to look like at the next level? Culver's offensive game has just gotten so much better this year compared to last. Um, he's done a much better job of driving and finishing at the rim, and his sh- his shooting form is so much more consistent than it has been in the past. And and we've really been able to see that, like you said, off of his pull up jumpers off the dribble. An issue I still have with his shooting form is that it's just a really really slow release, which allows defenders a lot of time to recover and challenge and disrupt it. So if he's able to speed that up, I I think we're going to I or I think he's going to turn into, you know, a really solid shooter. I don't think he's ever going to be kind of top 10 in the league type shooter, but I I definitely see him kind of progressing into a, a positive overall with his uh shooting. Let's move on to talking about Keldon Johnson out of Kentucky and 
he's definitely got the right build to be a really solid defender at the next level. Obviously, you're betting on something a bit early if you're betting on any rookie or young player to be a solid defender right out of the gate. But I'm a bit more concerned about what his offensive role might look like at the next level. Do you think he has enough complementary offensive skills to be able to stick around for a while? I do if he's used correctly, and obviously that can be said about any of these guys, but his off-ball work, I think, is where he's best. He's not a great ball handler and doesn't really initiate the offense that well. His pull-up jumper isn't great, and he's, his driving ability is kind of so-so. Um, but he's been at his best when he's um, kind of relocating on the arc for catch-and-shoot threes or coming off screens. So if he's able to kind of be be run through the offense and run run off screens i think that's where he'll really shine but if you know he goes to one of these teams and is relied upon to create the offense and create his own shot then he's really going to struggle and i i don't think we'll see a whole lot of him you have two point guards at number eight and number nine on your board so let's talk about them a bit together you have Kobe White at eight overall, which I think is a lot higher than most draft people sort of around the draft world. But certainly I would agree that a lot of people maybe even still are sleeping on him a bit. He's certainly someone who's climbed the rankings quite a bit so far this year. The only thing that he doesn't really do well is that he's not a particularly explosive athlete, but he's also the kind of point guard that does pretty much everything else that you could want him to do. I absolutely love Kobe White, and when he gets hot on offense, he is so much fun to watch. Um, I I think kind of most of the other boards and stuff I've seen have him in the 20 to 30 range, but I think that's a real disservice to what he does for North Carolina, and he's a, a really good three-point shooter. He creates offense. He runs in transition well. And he's a really good defender. He has active feet. He's really quick laterally. He keeps opponents in front of him. Um, but the real only knock is that he's not an explosive athlete, which I don't think you really need at the point guard position. I mean, we see plenty of guys who aren't elite leapers and explode off the floor who have really long, successful careers. And I, I don't think that White will really struggle from his lack of explosiveness the only thing that he really needs to work on is his consistency as he can kind of go through or can be a streaky shooter. But if he's kind of able to rein that in, I I think he could be an absolute steal in this draft if he doesn't go in the top 10 to lottery range. Number nine, you have Darius Garland, who I think the biggest thing with Garland is that he might be the best shooter in this class, period. He's certainly, if not the best, then one of the best off-the-dribble shooters in this class. He's got, I think, more of a modern point guard game in terms of you know what you think about from the NBA the past five years. He's got a little bit more of that in his game than I think Kobe White does, but the problem with Garland is just going to be, well, twofold. One, can he finish at the rim at all in the NBA? And two, who's he going to guard, if anyone? Yeah, I was really disappointed when Garland you know, went down for the year and I talked about NBA moves with Reddish and his ability to create his own shot. Darius Garland is an absolute wizard with the ball. He is such a good ball handler and cr- creates a ton of space. Um, and he's a really good shooter. So it would have been nice to see more of him this year. But I think offensively, I don't think he's going to have any issues producing at a high level. 
defensively, he's pretty awful. Um, he has slow feet. He's late to react, and he gets blown by pretty easily, even by guys who aren't as good of athletes as him. So everyone in North Carolina is going to hate me for this, so I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Nasir Little, I want to compare to both of Duke's forwards in the sense that I'm not sure who had a worse roster fit with their college squad between Little and Cam Reddish. But on the other hand, as you said earlier about R.J. Barrett, I don't think there's anyone who's been more disappointing so far in college this year for me personally than Nasir Little. How hopeful are you for him to be able to figure it out in the NBA? Because he looks lost even at the college level. And if he's lost at the college level, I really don't want to know what his rookie year is going to look like in terms of figuring (laughs) out where to be on the floor. Yeah, so at the beginning of the year, and everyone had little and you know, their top five to ten, and I was just, just bewildered. It didn't make any sense to me. I understood that he was McDonald's All American and a top recruit, but I just didn't see it. But as the year's gone on, I've really liked, especially these last couple of weeks, how his offensive versatility and scoring ability has progressed and grown. He's come off the bench for UNC a lot this year. And that's, you know, part of that is because he was behind some veteran forwards and centers, but he's super raw and it, he almost looks like he never received solid coaching growing up. Um, but under Roy Williams at UNC, he's come a long way over these just past couple months. And these last couple weeks, he's looked so much better offensively. Um, he's ha- had a better nose for getting to the rim his defense does still need a lot of work he's late on rotations but when he's going one-on-one he's improved a lot and he works or he at least looks like he works hard and cares which i think is also a, a huge determinant when when looking at these guys where the ones who actually care and want to work hard are the ones who end up making it regardless of what their skill or athleticism is So speaking of someone who always works hard, I wanted to talk about the guy who you have at number 11. And if Cam Reddish was our biggest disagreement in the lottery, this might be our second biggest disagreement. You have Rui Hachimura as your number 11 prospect. You have him ahead of Brandon Clark in your ranking of these prospects. And I want you to talk me into Rui a bit because... I think he's definitely a first-round talent, but I see way too much Rudy Gay slash Jeff Green in his game to be comfortable taking him in the even in the back half of the lottery. So I think and why I have Hachimura over Clark right now is probably, well, not probably, but is based more so on Hachimura's upside. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Clark, and we'll get to him in a couple minutes, but Hachimura, and he just started playing basketball a couple years ago, and now he's a starter on one of the best teams in the country. I think he, I see. So you mentioned Rudy Gay and Jeff Green. I kind of see him developing more into a Paul Millsap type. Probably not as good of a defender, but that that mold. He's a real. He's just really well rounded. Um, his offensive game is pretty versatile. He can score from all three levels of the floor and. You know, teams won't really want to use him to switch onto smaller opponents a whole lot, but he's athletic enough and smart enough um, to be a good post defender and at least disrupt pick and rolls and then recover to his own guy. So 
I, I think right away, I think Clark will make more of an impact, but I, I just see Hachimura's ceiling a lot higher, especially compared to, or since he just started playing basketball a couple of years ago and he's already this good, you know, just what, what, what's the possibility he could become with a, with, with a full NBA training staff. Next up, number 12, Romeo Lankford. I think that Romeo Lankford has the largest disparity between floor outcome and ceiling outcome of anyone in the lottery, because if he can be a, even a 35 to 37% three-point shooter, like average, maybe even slightly above average, maybe even if he's below average, you know, 33% range, as long as he can shoot at all, I think he can be someone who will contend for a couple of all-star games, but if he can't figure out that long range shot, I just don't think he's good enough as a scorer slash playmaker slash distributor to have the ball in his hands as much as he would need to, to be effective if he can't be an off ball spacer when he doesn't have the rock. So I mentioned my frustrations with RJ Barrett and I I might be even more disappointed in what Langford has shown this year. I was really excited for him to just kind of take over that Indiana program and just you know, be a killer in the Big Ten, but he hasn't really shown any of that. He has all the tools to be an awesome player, but I just have serious concerns with his mindset, and the more I watch, the less I like him. And he just doesn't look like he wants to be out there. You forget that he's out there a lot, and he's when he has the ball in his hands, he's a really good driver and finisher around the rim, but he struggles to work for the ball. He doesn't relocate well. His shooting is really inconsistent from from outside. So I just have serious concerns on if he's going to be one of these guys that actually puts in the work and wants to be great. Because if he doesn't, and his his floor is that he doesn't even get a second contract, I think. But if he really puts in the work, he could be an absolute stud. From that incredibly depressing scouting report, let's talk about (laughs) the two players as the last two guys in the lottery, both of whom are players that I personally am really high on. And let's start with number 13, Jackson Hayes. Jackson Hayes does basically everything that you would want from a complimentary big man. He's a ridiculous athlete. He's getting better and better as a rim protector. His block numbers are sky high, and he's gotten a lot better about avoiding fouls just over the course of this year. He hasn't really got the full level of pick and roll awareness that you might need to be a top flight defender in the NBA, but he's also still only 18 years old. The only concern that I have about Jackson Hayes at this point is if he can ever figure it out on the glass. But other than that, I think he would be a great choice for any team in the back half of the lottery. And depending on the team, it might even be worth giving him a look at one of the five through nine level picks. Yeah, I'm really high on both Hayes and Clark coming up. Um, Hayes is still super raw and just watch it. You can see it pretty clearly just watching one game from him, but you also see his freak athleticism. Um, He's shown some improvement with his post-up game and scoring, but he's still really just kind of a rim runner. Um, Offensively, it's kind of frustrating because it it looks like he was told by his coaches that once you set the pick, run to this spot, then look for the ball. Um, because he's always late on turning his head. So if he can get more comfortable with just kind of that that motion of screening, rolling, and looking for the ball right away, I think that will open up a lot more opportunities. 
but defensively his footwork away from the rim is actually pretty impressive i i don't think you know obviously teams won't want him switching on to point guards but he'll he'll be able to disrupt pick and rolls and and recover i have concerns about his ability to recognize rotations but a lot of that just kind of comes with age and experience and like you said he's only 18 he's a baby out out on the I mean, he's a massive baby out on the floor but I, I i think he he'll turn into a really nice rim runner and uh rim protector if zion williamson were not about to shatter the college per record then the man who would hold that record instead is the player who you have at 14th on your big board in brandon clark now, one of the things that really annoys me about this time of year, and I'm using this as a preface for what's about to be a super hypocritical comment, <laughs> but one of the things that I really hate the most about this time of year is when people say, you know, X good defensive college wing who can't shoot anymore is the next Kawhi Leonard because everybody's going to immediately figure out their three-point shot at the next level and add something every year like Kawhi Leonard has or any college player who's a good switch defender but is an undersized forward is the next Draymond Green. That being said, I really do think that Brandon Clark could be the next Draymond Green. His defensive anticipation is excellent. He fits in really well on the offensive end of the floor. He's not the same level of passer as Draymond Green, but pretty much no big man is. I am super high on Brandon Clark to the point where I am fairly confident that he will have a better NBA career than his Gonzaga teammate and more to the point, I think that he will be one of those players that when we look back on this draft, people will be wondering where he ended up where he did. Because even though you have him at 14, I don't think he goes in the lottery on draft night. And I think that will be a mistake by all of the NBA teams that are not taking him in the lottery on draft night. Yeah, so I, I thought I was super high on Clark, but I, I think you you probably beat me on that. Um, I, I, I love his game. I and mean, he, he works his butt off on both ends. He's a really smart player. I I'm anticipating having him even higher on the second version of this whenever it comes out. Um, but he he's just a really well-rounded player that will be able to help a team on both ends of the floor from day one. And he's super efficient. I think he's shooting. I think his field goal percentage is over 70% this year. Um, he has 90 or he's missed 99 shots on the year and he has 99 blocks this year which is just, it really doesn't mean anything. The comparison, it's just a fascinating kind of nugget that he has as many blocks as missed shots this year. So, and he he can really guard any position on the floor. So I'm also very high on Clark. I think he'll be able to help teams from day one. And if he doesn't go in the lottery, I would be absolutely shocked. And it'll be because teams take a gamble on one of these guys that has a super high ceiling, but a really low floor. So let's now move on to the non-lottery picks in the first round. And I want to run through these kind of lightning round style. So I'll bring up the name where you have them on your draft board, and then you'll give a quick scouting report on them. And then if I have anything to add, we will go from there. So let's start with number 15, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He's a really nice player. Last year, he was just kind of mostly a spot-up shooter, but this year he's taken on a lot of the playmaking roles um he's a good on-ball defender uh still a little loose of his footwork on that end of the floor but he's gotten a lot better he's the most intriguing part about his game is that uh, is his playmaking ability he's still a really solid shooter 
but his ability to pass out of the drive um, is super impressive. The the one handed swing passes that he puts right in the shooter's pocket, um, I, I think he'll add a really nice two way ability for a team. Next up, number sixteen, Trey Jones. So it's kind of a lame comparison, but he's very similar to his brother Tyus. Just he's not going to make losing plays. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's he might be the best guard defender in the country. Um, his offensive his shooting needs some work, but he's a he's a really good passer, and he has kind of an uncanny ability to get to the rim and finish despite his size. I think if he develops a shot, he can be a starting point guard for a few years in the NBA. I think if he doesn't develop that shot, he's still smart enough and a good enough defender that he's going to be an eighth or ninth man for a while, just like, hey, his brother Tyus. Number 17, Bull Bull. Really interesting prospect. I have serious concerns about his injury, though. Um, I never like seeing seven-foot centers out for a whole year with feet with uh, foot injuries. Um, with that said, if he is healthy... He's a really unique shot blocker, uh, good rebounder. He moves like a guard despite being 7-2. He's shown the ability to stretch to the floor. Um, not a great decision maker. He can get lazy on both ends of the floor, but if he's able to kind of handle the f- physicality of the NBA and stay healthy, he could be an absolute steal uh, in the late first round. He moves like a guard on the offensive end, and he does have that shot blocking talent, but he gets lost so much on the defensive end. Yeah, absolutely. And his lateral mobility is just awful. And that was before the foot injury. So that will certainly be a big component as to where he gets drafted. And speaking of unfortunate injuries, number 18 for the second year in a row, Jonte Porter. Yeah, the, the, his injury really sucked this year. I was excited to see him. Um, I, I, I thought he would he was a first-round talent last year, but he decided to come back. He's a really, really smart player. He's not an explosive athlete, um, but he's a versatile uh, offensive scorer. He can shoot from behind the arc, and he's a great passer. So running the pick and roll with him as a roll man um, opens up a ton of opportunities, whether he's slipping out for a jump shot, finishing on the roll, or making the extra pass to an open teammate. Um, I, I, I think he'll be... A really good player but if he can't stay healthy then it, it could be you know a very short career next up oj mayo jr oh sorry <laughs> kevin porter jr from usc just a massive point guard i guess shooting guard i i struggled to say shooting guard because he can't shoot um but struggled to say point guard because usc really didn't use him a whole lot as a primary ball handler uh when he has the ball in his hand he's really good at creating for himself off the dribble he's a massive guard he's a great athlete and he's a really good ball handler his shooting form is really ugly when you watch his highlight tapes it'll be mostly all dunks and layups and if one of his jump shots makes their way on there it's probably by mistake um he's not a good defender and his seemed to have some pretty serious attitude issues in high school and at usc I will add that as a DeMarcus Cousins defender and huge fan of his for the entirety of his career, I don't think I have seen anyone since Sacramento Boogie whose body language on the bench has looked as terrible as Kevin Porter's has at USC this season. But next up, number 20, PJ Washington. He's been really impressive and just flown up draft boards this year at Kentucky. Um, He's 
just a strong dude playing the four position. I mean, he's a great screen man, and he's not a great shooter, but is good enough where teams have to respect it, and he can knock it down enough. He's an incredible rebounder and can guard any position at a pretty high level. Um, he's a little clumsy when he has the ball in his hand and doesn't do a great job of creating his own shot in the either in the post or out on the perimeter. But if he's cutting or going for offensive putbacks or um, acting as a role man, he'll he'll be really really um, effective for a team. Serious props to him for really taking advantage of the fact that Kentucky's roster is slightly less crowded this year than it was last year. And I think he's going to be yet another example of a Kentucky player who's able to show us a lot more at the NBA level than they were able to at Kentucky just because of the roster constructions down there. But staying in the SEC, Grant Williams from Tennessee. So back-to-back SEC Player of the Year, uh, Grant Williams is just an awesome power forward. He's built like a bull, and he kind of plays like one too. Um, Very strong rebounder. He's done a great job of improving his scoring versatility he can knock down threes especially as like the trail man pretty consistently he's a really smart player on both ends of the floor makes right decisions um you know rarely gets in foul trouble makes the extra pass when he needs to and he's just he's not a, a great athlete so his rim protection abilities are pretty low but he does a a pretty solid job of you know taking advantage of the verticality rule and affecting shots that way. I think his shooting is going to be a really important swing skill for Grant Williams because if he can be a consistent three-point shooting option as a stretch four, not just as someone who can make those shots, but as someone who takes them with at least some degree of frequency, maybe three or so triples a game, I think if he's able to shoot around three shots a game from deep, make 35% of them, that'll allow the rest of his game to play out and help keep him on the floor. But I think to get on the floor in the first place, he at least has to be a little bit of a shooter. Moving on to an incredibly different player at number 22, Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah, very different. Uh, Horton Tucker is, and he's like, when you look at him, you're like, all right, this dude is not a good basketball player, but then he hits the floor and he's kind of scoring all over the place. Um, He's, really a really good shooter and doesn't have issues knocking down shots in uncomfortable situations um, with hands in his face or in traffic. He uses his body really well when he drives um, and just kind of gets rid of defenders by just being bigger and stronger than them. The concerns come with his um, tendency to kind of dribble the air out of the ball and just go ISO so heavy with it and he's just kind of not a great defender and a lot of that is due to his lack of overall athleticism speaking of pounding the air out of the ball probably the most disappointing player in college basketball this year quentin grimes so grimes was probably most well known for remembered for that awesome game he had against michigan state to start off the year and i was really high on him i'm still a lot higher on him than most people um, he has a beautiful shooting form. He's a little inconsistent with it, um, but he's a really good defender on ball. He works his butt off, and he's a really impressive passer, uh, similar to Alexander Walker. He is really good at passing out of the dribble and finding the open man. 
I think this year at Kansas, and this is just kind of a hunch on the way he plays, but I think he's played out of position a lot at the two guard. I think if a team puts him into puts him in as the point guard, I think he is much more suited to that, where he isn't relied on to score as much and can use his vision and ability to really set up teammates more. With that said, he's been pretty disappointing um, as the two guard at Kansas this year, as they've had their worst year and is like the first time they haven't won the conference in 14 years or something. Number 24, Ashton Hagen's out of Kentucky. So it seems kind of like a cheat of a comparison, but he reminds me of SGA from last year. Um, He's a really, really good defender, plays with a ton of energy and is absolutely deadly in transition where if he, if he's able to run out, um, He's really good at finishing at the rim or finding the open man. With that said, he's a really bad shooter and can't really create his own shot. Um, his ball handling needs some work, so teams that take him, it'll be it'll be a, a project to get him on the offensive level where you know consistently good NBA point guards need to be. But he'll he'll be able to defend almost anyone from day one. That shooting is really the concern with him. It's also that he's not the same as SGA in the sense that he's about 6'3", so he doesn't have the crazy positional size that Gilgis Alexander did. Absolutely. So I think that lack of extreme size combined with questionable jump shot makes me a bit iffy on him, but I think as long as he can figure out the jump shot to the point where he's even like a 32-33% three-point shooter, I think his defensive acumen can keep him on the floor. But a very different player than that in Maryland's Bruno Fernando at number 25. So Fernando was tempted or almost came out in last year's draft, but decided to come back for another year. And I think that did him a lot of good. I mean, he's a really strong player, great rebounder, uh, good screen man, um, and has all the defensive potential of um, great defensive NBA centers. Uh, as we've seen him as a rim protector at Maryland this year, um, he turns away shots pretty consistently and with ease. And it's not him over gambling on uh, uh, as a weak side blocker, leaving his man open. It's making the right rotations and really disrupting shots. With that said, as an on-ball defender, he kind of tends to play really good defense for about 80 to 90% of the play. And then as his guys you know taking that last dribble to go around him he seems to give up or get gassed um so if he's able to improve on that i think he'll be a be a much more effective player and he needs to work on his post game as he kind of struggles to to create his own shot he's improved this year but he's he's still not where he needs to be to be a consistent post up uh, center up next number 26 dedrick lawson from kansas so lawson's almost the exact opposite of fernando He's more of a finesse big man. Um, he's really creative in the post. He's a great pick and pop player. Um, he can knock down threes pretty consistently. He's an active rebounder. He's just a really pretty weak defender. Um, he gets moved around pretty easily and isn't a great uh, rim protector. I think with Lawson, even though they're extraordinarily different players on the surface, he can be sort of similar to Julius Randle as an offense first, second, third, fourth, and fifth kind of scoring big man off the bench. 
I don't think he's really ever going to be good enough on defense to be a full-time starter, but we are certainly seeing a lot more of that concept of rather than having your sixth man just be a scoring guard, it can be a scoring big man instead. But not as much of a scoring big man at number 27, Daniel Gafford. So I I, I see Gafford pretty similar to um, Hayes. I think Gafford's a little more well-polished with less upside. He runs the floor really well, um, and he's a strong finisher around the rim as well as a rim protector. But he just kind of his involvement and impact wanes, and he just does. He's not super aggressive if he's not dunking or you know being a rim runner. He's probably not not doing a whole lot else. Twenty eight Lugans Dort from Arizona State projects as a another one of these three and D guys, but his three-point shot is leaving a lot to be desired um as an on-ball defender he can guard pretty much one through four he's plays at a at a high level on that end of the floor he has active feet active hands and offensively he's a pretty good driver but his his three-point shot uh, needs just a lot of work and I, i i don't love how often he forces the issue with that. Number 29, Shimori Pons. Pons is an incredible scorer. Um, and kind of like John Morant, he has to do everything for the St. John's team offensively. He's a very creative passer, um, really good scorer, both at the rim or from behind the arc, great ball handler. Uh, he's, I, th- I think calling him an awful defender is putting it lightly. Um he he just roams on defense. He all frequently loses his guy. He gets blown by. So if if he can't even become a below average defender, I mean, I, I, I could see him just getting absolutely taken advantage of in the NBA. The lazy comparison for Shamori Pons is Kemba Walker as point guards who list themselves at six one, who there's a zero percent chance that they're taller <laughs> than six foot, shoot first kind of point guards who really dominate their offenses. The differences are, number one, Kemba tries a lot harder on defense than Shamori Pons ever has. And number two, Kemba really turned himself from a score-at-the-rim kind of guard into a spectacular shooter who's now one of the league's best at that pull-up three-point shot that is so necessary for top-flight point guards these days. Shamori's got a lot of the offensive skills for that comparison to not be as terrible as it could be otherwise, but... I just don't think he's anywhere near that kind of level of player. I'm not even sure he can be a six-man type, but if he's going to succeed in the NBA, I think that's definitely the role for him. And moving on to number 30 on your big board, Ayo Dasunmu from Illinois. So Dasunmu, he's very similar to Hagen's, um, but bigger and He's a really, really good defender. He uses his length well to challenge shots, disrupt uh, opponents when they're dribbling, and he's awesome in transition. He's really quick. Um, he's great at finishing at the rim um, and even setting up teammates when they when they run in transition. If they're not running in transition, he's essentially invisible on offense. He's not a great passer. Um and his shot needs just a ton of work. It's pretty broken right now. But similar to Hagen's, um, where if he can't develop any sort of an offensive game, it'll be a pretty pretty short career. 
All right. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to talk about some of our favorite players who are outside of the top 30 on your big board. And I wanted to start with Casey Akpala from Stanford. I was, I think, more surprised that he was not in your top 30 than any other player. I think he at 6'9", 7'2", wingspan, solid shooting, good defensive instincts. I think he's someone who really their floor is someone who's a ninth man for a solid four, five, six, seven, eight years. But I think that long term, as long as he can develop more of a complimentary game outside of his already decent shooting, I think he could be a really solid fifth starter type of player for a number of playoff teams. And I think he can get to that point pretty quickly in the NBA. So I have Akpala at like, it's like 31 or 33 or something right now on my board. Um, so I mean, he was right there. And a lot of that was probably due to just the fact that I, I hadn't been able to see a ton of him because Stanford's rarely on any TV. Also because you would probably rather gouge your eyes out with a rusty suit and then watch the <laughs> club this year. Yeah, they're, they're just trash. But from what I, the, the handful of games I have been able to catch of Akpala is I, I see the tools, I see the potential. I just haven't really seen him put it into practice consistently at all. Um, I, I, I see the 3 and D potential, he, but his his flashes of showing what he could be only seem to be one, two, maybe three consecutive possessions where some of these other guys are stringing it together for you know a full half or a full game or a couple weeks. So, and he's super raw. Maybe if once he gets into like an NBA training staff, um, he, he develops more than what I've seen, but I, I just have concerns of what he is and if he can actually put any of it, uh, any of that potential into actual practice. You have Cam Johnson as one of your intriguing prospects outside of the top 30. What do you see in him that has you interested in what he might become as an NBA player? Absolutely love how cam johnson has developed as the years gone on he'll probably be in top 30 in version two um he's just gotten better every game he's a he has a beautiful shooting for him and he puts into practice every game uh he moves off the ball really well uh runs off screens isn't affected by uh contested shots uh great length that helps him finish around the rim um he's not a great athlete though so that kind of limits him on the defensive end and his scoring ability, but he's a really smart defender. So just based on his shooting ability and his length, um, I, I, I think could see him as a long time kind of versatile scorer coming off the bench for teams. So after taking a completely unprompted shot at the Pac-12 conference, my second player to watch is of course also a player <laughs> from the Pac-12 conference in Matisse Thibel, who set the Pac-12 career record for steals in a game recently and has incredible defensive potential, is a really solid athlete, has a good three-point stroke, even though his percentages haven't been as good this year as they have been in the past. He is doing it on a high volume of attempts, and he's definitely got a three-point stroke that seems like it can translate. The only problem with him is that he just can't dribble or create, like at all so your view on the pac-12 is a that it's a horrible conference with great sleepers in the draft got it i mean 
<laughs> the first part is objectively true. The second part we'll see in like a few years. So I was going to have Thibault as one of my guys until I saw that you listed him. Um, he's an awesome defender, and I he's definitely one of these guys that's going to project um, project well and probably continue to rise up draft boards once you know he gets more exposure, um, both in tournament games and during draft workouts. Um, his I have concerns about his offensive limitations since he just struggles to do anything with the ball besides shoot and catch and shoot opportunities. Um, and he's an awesome defender. I I hate college teams that play zone defenses because it makes it selfishly it makes it more difficult to project how they'll be at the NBA level when they have to play man. So he's afforded the ability to just kind of roam on defense for Washington right now, and kind of play that free safety role but i i think his physical tools and his mental makeup is good enough where he'll be able to get rid of some of those bad habits pretty quickly next up on your list you had ty jerome what are your thoughts on what he might be at the next level so it seems it feels like a lazy comparison but i kind of see him as a malcolm bragdon type player um he's not a great athlete he's not going to wow you but he's just a really consistent, really smart player on both ends of the floor. Um, he's a six-five point guard who's a really good passer, finds the open guy, and has no issue finishing around the rim or even, you know, going off from behind the arc. He works hard on defense, as everyone from Virginia does, but he's not a great athlete, um, so that kind of limits what he can do on both ends of the floor. But as a late first, early second round pick, uh, I. NBA teams will begin an absolute steal with him because he'll be a really smart, really mature backup point guard for a really long time. And someone else that I think can be a really solid backup point guard for a very long time, Marcus Howard out of Marquette. I said earlier that Darius Garland had probably shown the most as an off-the-dribble three-point shooter in college basketball, despite his very small sample size of games at Vanderbilt. If he's the best in the country at that, then Marcus Howard is certainly second. And really the thing about Howard is he's a very easy player to fall in love with their game just as a guy who's very undersized but a spectacular shooter in the kind of way that pretty much anybody can relate to. I think that Howard is a good enough shooter that he will be able to make up for his defense which is going to be egregiously terrible at the next level but I think that his overall offensive game as a shooter someone who can play make a bit and just general ability on that end of the floor will make up for the fact that he just won't be able to defend anyone and he's a freak scorer and he routinely went off for 30 plus this year at Marquette I kind of he kind of reminds me of Isaiah Thomas uh Boston Isaiah Thomas not Detroit um, and he's, he's a smaller, smaller guard and he has no issue scoring, whether it's at the rim or knocking down step back threes routinely. And he's just a really impressive volume scorer, but at the same time, he can't guard an eighth grader. Um, he, he'll absolutely be taken advantage of, but if, you know, teams need a spark plug scorer for a handful of minutes, every game coming off the bench, um, that they, they could do a lot worse than Howard. I mean, honestly, if he's scoring three points every trip down and giving up two points, 
that's a win for your team. It's math. There you go. And last up <laughs> uh, on your list, the Villanova forward, Eric Paschal. So I, I, I kind of fall in love with towards like late first and second round. I fall in love with these guys who are just smart, solid players. And that's what Pascal is from Villanova. I, I He's not going to be Draymond Green, but I get Draymond Green vibes from him. And he's the un, sm, uh, undersized power forward. He works his butt off at both ends of the floor, um, just can guard any position and knock down threes. Um, he's He struggles a bit with his consistency shooting, but and doesn't have that killer instinct of I'm going to rip everyone's head off like Draymond has, but that versatility, um, I, I, I could see him being a poor man's Draymond for, um, for, for an NBA team for quite a while. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? I don't think so. I'm just kind of check out the big board on hashtag basketball. Um, I'll have pieces going more in depth on all these guys coming up over the next couple of weeks, including a Zion one, hopefully this week. Um, and there'll be another version or two or three of the big board coming out as we come up to the draft. All right. Well, we will definitely have more discussions about the draft on this podcast as we get closer and closer to the day. But in the meantime, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find his work on the hashtag basketball website. You can find him on Twitter at tmetcalf11. And the link for his 2019 big board will be in the description of this podcast. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. And feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. You can also find my written work on the hashtag basketball website. Hoping to have a couple of more player-specific pieces up before the end of March. So check that out when you get a chance. And as always, thanks so much for listening.